from the start, I and my partner were always of the mindset, you can't make it perfect from the get-go because if you try and make it perfect, it's never going to come out. You've got to go for it, release it, and then let the customers give you feedback. You can do as much testing on your own as you want, but you just have to release it. Sometimes you just have to take a chance and then you can continue to improve as you go on. Hi, and welcome to the Bright Minds of E-Commerce podcast. I'm Dana, founder of Bright Red Marketing. And after helping so many businesses in the e-commerce space over the years, I wanted to bring you the best advice Australian experts in e-commerce and e-commerce store owners had to offer. If you want relatable stories and actionable advice and the latest Facebook advertising strategies, you're in the right place. So let's get into today's episode. Today, we're here with Maggie from St. Argo. Welcome, Maggie. Hi, thank you for having me. Thanks for joining us. It's really great to have you on the show. So tell us about how St. Argo came to be. Okay. I love this question. So St. Argo came about when in 2018, when my partner and I, who I'm still with, and he's the co-founder and co-owner as well still, we were both working just day jobs. He was working in finance. He just finished his degree. We just moved from Queensland to Melbourne and I was working as a receptionist, just still studying for my law degree. And so we were just working in these jobs. And one day, I think we were just a little bit, I don't want to say bored, but just we were looking for something a bit different and creative to do. We're both quite creative, we've come to realize. And he came home one day. I remember I was in bed just waking up. He came, brought me a coffee and said, we should start a side hustle. And I was like, he's definitely the risk taker. I'm a little bit more risk averse. And I was like, okay, whatever. Like, I'm just going to go along with this, keep him happy. So I don't know. It happened kind of quickly. We were brainstorming ideas probably just that day. And we thought, let's do something to do with dogs. His mum had just got a dog. That's probably why. It was all very, like, random to be honest. His mum had just bought a puppy. She couldn't find a pet carrier that was stylish for the little puppy. It was a little Yorkie. And so we thought, okay, let's do designer-looking bags, but they're actually pet carriers. Amazing. And that's literally how we just started bringing out dog carriers pretty much. That was what it, all it was going to be. And then as we started doing more research into it and sourcing the factory and all of this, we realized, oh, there's a lot of leftover material from these bags. Let's do collars and lids as well. And it just all happened. It, we still had our other jobs, but I don't know. It was just exciting at the time. I mean, we didn't even tell anybody. So there was always an out, but it was always kind of, I think it was just meant to be, to be honest with you. Yeah. I love that. I love hearing where people's stories came from because so many people are like, oh, we just decided. And then we thought of the idea. And then other times people are like, no, I was really struggling with this problem. Mm -hmm. And then I had to make the solution because no one else had a solution to it. Like, yes, I think it's really inspiring to be like, you don't always have to have the genius idea first sometimes you can be like no I want to have a business I want to have a side hustle and then it just it's so true I think there's usually two mindsets and one is like I want to do something different I don't necessarily love what I'm doing I'm going to brainstorm and think of it or it's like I really wish this product was on the market it's not on the market so I'll bring it out and it's kind of either those two ways although I feel like ours was a little bit of both where we were like we could do something like we have a lot of spare time at the moment, it feels like. And, oh, well, Tim's mum really struggled with this. So let's do that. And that's how that particular idea fell into place. When I think back to it, I can't even think of 
any other ideas we had. I wish I had like that list that we wrote down. <laughs> I, I would give anything to be able to find that list and think of like all the other crazy ideas we had. And when we landed on vegan leather dog designer handbags, that seemed like such a crazy idea at the time as well. We didn't even have a dog at the time. Like it happened really quickly. <laughs> I love it. It just goes to show like these ideas can really come from from anywhere. So like you were in studying law, your partner was just finished finance. What's yeah. that product development process like when it's obviously not something that, you know, you guys specialized in? Because <laughs> I know that's something people struggle with. I was kind of lucky in a way because my auntie, she was really the only person I spoke to about it in the initial planning phases, mm. but she had a uh, cinema chair business. So she installed like cinema chairs <laughs> in huge yeah. things you didn't know were jobs that make sense that they're actually jobs. Yeah. Fantastic. Yes. I know that you never think are real, but somebody has to do it. Yeah. Yep. So she had a company like sourcing, designing cinema chairs into places like aged care facilities and I don't know what else but anyway she said go on to Alibaba that's first port of call so that's just what what we did I was always kind of in charge of product development I always knew what I wanted the products to look like pretty much especially when it came to collars and leads having more experience with that just growing up and we did get a puppy after a couple of months of planning and I couldn't find something that was small enough for her because she was really small and lightweight enough, but also wasn't like fraying and like not just a, you know, a light nylon color. Yeah. So I was like, okay, I know what kind of the material I want to do. I know what colors, I know what I want the style to be. So I knew that going into it. And then it was sourcing a factory, which again, it's not that much of an exciting story. I think, okay, this is my imposter syndrome again coming in saying we got lucky, but we did chat to lots of factories online and then we did end up settling with a factory that was a designer handbag factory. Okay. And we went from there and we've been with them ever since. We went over to China to visit the factory, met all the staff. They're all still there. We chat to them all the time and that was it. We, we were quite lucky with you know, sourcing the factory. I mean, along the way, we've definitely made improvements as we go. From the start, I and my partner were always of the mindset, you can't make it perfect from the get-go because if you try and make it perfect, it's never going to come out. You've got to go for it, release it, and then like let the customers give you feedback. Like You can do as much testing on your own as you want but you just have to release it like and just sometimes you just have to take a chance and then you can continue to improve as you go. I think a big thing that people get scared off with sourcing stuff, when we went over there the first time and they had some samples ready to go, they were horrific. <laughs> oh, no. I was like, I don't want to do this anymore. Like, how can this be so off? It was so off, but you just got to keep going, like keep tweaking it and eventually... I mean, it's never the end of the world. Like it, it does all get sorted. It, well, it did for us anyway. But yeah, we, we have a great factory. I think it's good to like remind people that it doesn't have to be perfect. Like, yeah, what I call it, it's the minimum viable product. Like you need to just get it out there, see if people like it, see what the feedback is. Because what you think the feedback is and what your actual customers think the feedback is can be very different things. 100%. Yeah. And I think that's so true as well where you go into it with a certain perception 
of, oh, well, this is great about it. Or I love this color. Or this is, uh, I love it because of this, whatever it may be. But until you get that feedback, we won't get it. If you don't release it and you're waiting for it to be perfect in your mind, then you're never really going to know what people want. And I mean, for our industry, there's so many different kinds of dog breeds and different customers as well. Like we've got some customers that just want it for their wedding. So it, it's got to be specific to that or they just want it for training. And so you don't think about these considerations necessarily when designing products and until you've released it and you're getting feedback, whether it's brutal or whatever. That's the best way to test, I feel, with real customers. Like I want to get one of your harnesses for Mike because mm-hmm. he likes to jump off balconies. And I imagine when you were designing this, you weren't thinking about cats jumping off balconies using your harnesses or people taking their cats for walks and these sorts of things. So I suppose it's one of those things like you just don't know what people are going to use your product for. Want help with your Facebook and Instagram ads? Remember, you can always book in a free strategy session at brightredmarketing.com.au forward slash free dash strategy dash session. We'll run through all of your ads, see what's working and what's not, and no sales pitch, I promise. So let's get back to today's episode. You've touched on the imposter syndrome. I know it's something that so many of us go through. We were talking about it before the call. I go through it and I'm 13 years in. Is there anything in particular that you've sort of done experience that sort of helped you to overcome this or sort of make peace with it? Yeah, I didn't really realize what it was, this feeling of kind of a dampener on any success that we were having. I would just always put myself down and, you know, I would show people the business because they asked what I did and they would say, oh my gosh, that's so amazing. Like, I can't believe you do that. And I'll be like, oh yeah, but it was, it was honestly good timing. So that's kind of, and I just kept saying that and I was picked up by my partner saying it. And I, I was like, oh, I didn't even really realize I did that. And then I listened to a podcast that had Matilda Murray from Stacks in it. And she was talking about it and that's, she was giving some examples. And that's when I realized, oh, that's what that is that I do. It's not necessarily the best thing that you can be doing like for yourself. And so I think listening to that and leaning into realizing what it was has been really good for me because now when I tend to do it, I'll pull myself up on it more. And I think that's really important to kind of diagnose yourself. (laughs) Yeah. And pull yourself up. I guess that's what I would say that I do actively when I'm doing it in the moment, say, hang on, I can, I can be proud of myself or I can give myself props for this, you know? Yeah. I love that. And I think it's really important that everyone's sort of starting to talk about it a little bit more. I feel like it was definitely something yeah. that everyone sort of internally struggled with and no one talked about. And the more yeah. that you hear other people being like, oh, no, I have it too. You're like, does, it, does everyone have this? <laughs> yeah, and is this word that we all have this? I think it is so part of our culture and even our culture as Australians 100%. to self-deprecate. The good old tall poppy syndrome in Australia. Exactly. Like you can't. You can be proud of yourself, but it's, you know, it's more acceptable to kind of just put your head down, bum up, get on with it and not celebrate your success. And I think that kind of was playing to that mindset for me, definitely. Yeah, I love that. I just, I wonder, does Beyonce have imposter syndrome? I don't think so. I doubt it. (laughs) I don't think so either. But it's just like, you see, I see so many like really big successful people in business that you just think, no way. And then they talk about it and they're like, no, me too. And you're like, yeah, yeah. It's just it's it's common. It is great that we're starting to talk about it because 
I don't know if it's necessarily a good thing to have it, you know, to have this like self-doubt constantly and putting yourself down no matter. I think it's human and I think it's good that we can sort of get past it, but I don't think it's, yeah, it's interesting. So you built this business, you created this product. Mm -hmm. It is beautiful. Mm -hmm. I remember the first time I saw your website, I'm like, oh, wow, they make pretty ones. They are gorgeous. How did you start marketing? Like, obviously, you build the product, you design the product, you get some stock in your hands. Mm -hmm. How did you get your first customers? Mm -hmm. This is a really interesting one, and there's definitely been an evolution for us. So it's just my partner and I that have pretty much just been doing it ourselves. So we started in 2019, and the first sales were definitely from family members and friends. Of course. Number one. Having used Facebook and Instagram ourselves personally, we had an Instagram pay account and a Facebook account from the get-go. And what I would do, I was always kind of in charge with the socials, would be to join different like dog groups on Facebook, post our products on there. And we didn't track it. I, I don't know how much that worked, but that was like that was what I would do every day for like an hour a day. And then also Instagram, we didn't ever have professional imagery of our products. It was all me like shooting little videos with my iPhone up against a white wall. And our Instagram grew pretty quickly and pretty organically. Like we didn't ever put any spend into any marketing actually for the first couple of years. Yeah. It was just kind of like a boom. I feel like the algorithm almost favored us, especially for Instagram in that time, because the content, when I look back on it, wasn't good. Like (laughs) it wasn't good content we didn't start producing amazing designer like seo approved any of this kind of thing we had no idea what we were doing but i was constantly on it yeah um and we grew quite quickly with quite a loyal following too we were very active we were very engaged with them and then fast forward to the start of 2020 yeah that's when it happened covid hit yep We were freaking out because we were like, okay, well, everybody's talking about going into a recession. This is like, we're going to have to pick up jobs. I was literally looking for work at Coles. Like I was applying to places and then everybody started buying dogs and everybody started (laughs) and our business, it was insane. Like we didn't need to really do anything apart from what we were already doing. So just posting organic stuff, nothing was paid at that point still. And it just took off. Just so many people bought dogs. Yeah, so many people were dogs and so many people were searching for dog products and it just took off then. And then we actually met the owner of Barney Bed, Julia. Yeah. Barney Bed's a really amazing dog bed brand in Australia. They do orthopedic dog beds. And I remember we were just picking our brains about what they do with marketing. We were chatting everything dog brand and we were talking about paid advertising. And it wasn't until that point, which was whenever that was in 2020, that we started actually paid advertising for Google and for Facebook and Instagram. Yeah. So at that point, that was my partner, Tim. He taught himself everything on LinkedIn Learning. Um, I mean, it's a good way to deal with it. Yeah, right. That's how a lot of people do it. I've come to realize he taught himself everything. And yeah, he's he's amazing at it. I mean, I'm sure it was crappy to start with, but it's working for us now. So that's kind of been the evolution of that. And then for me, on socials, I've really leaned in in the last probably year and a half to influencer marketing. So that's kind of our strategy on Instagram anyway. Yeah, because I mean, puppy influencers are a thing. 
and lots yeah. of influencers have dogs and everyone loves dog yeah. photos. So yeah. how do you go yeah. about finding a dog influencer? Do you just go for the humans okay. or are you finding actual dog influencers? This is a really good question and this is something that I have um, figured out along the way, as everybody does. I started targeting dog influencers pretty much that had 300,000 followers and they were a famous, whatever, Yorkie in New York City. <laughs> That's how I started thinking, okay, great maximum exposure. But then I realized, honestly, for our products, the the kinds of people that, I mean, I don't want to generalize, but I will. Um, yeah. The kinds of people that have hundreds of thousands of followers for their dog account or they're really into their dog accounts aren't necessarily going to be into our marketing and our products specifically. Mm. Our products and our marketing is more targeted towards the women's fashion industry or lifestyle. So okay. that wasn't working so well. So from that, I learned, okay, instead I'm going to target influencers that influence, you know, women in the fitness industry or lifestyle industry or homewares, you know, or fashion, of course, that have dogs. And that's worked well for us. I think that's good influencer advice in general, regardless of whether you have a dog product or not, because I feel like a lot of people get into the, oh, I'll go with this influencer because they have a bigger following. And it's not always the best thing. Like sometimes you want to find the micro influencers. Sometimes in your case, it's not the dog accounts. It's actually the the more fashion focused people that have dogs. Like it's finding the right fit. Definitely finding the right fit. And that gives you a point of difference as well. I mean, there's thousands of other dog brands that target those same pet influences that I was trying to target. Mm. And you're just another pet brand that's popping up on their feed that their followers see every day. Whereas, you know, women or men that are interested in these lifestyle influences and fashion influences, they're not necessarily seeing pretty dog harnesses every day. So when they do see it, it's a bit different. It must be good because, you know, she's into fashion and lifestyle and then they take a chance on that. So I just think it's a bit of a different angle. I think it's yeah, it is definitely something to be mindful of when working with influencers to kind of think outside of the box with who you're planning to work with. Yeah, I love that. And I think you're right that, you know, you go for the really, I don't want to say stereotypical influencer, but I can't think of a better word right now, that mm-hmm. they're going to be promoting all the other products that are just like yours. When yeah. you can think outside the box a little bit, it yeah. you're going to have a little bit more of a point of difference, which I love. It differentiates you. And I think it does build your brand as well. And I think branding is something that we're not trying to protect i wouldn't don't think protect is the right word but um our products are beautiful obviously and they're all done by our amazing factory and they're all thoughtfully designed but other brands will come along and rip them off for cheaper so we can't protect that necessarily but we can protect our brand by having you know influencers endorse it and it's not just the product that people are buying into it's the I don't want to say lifestyle, but it is. It's the lifestyle. <laughs> it's the lifestyle. You know, it's like being a dog mom. It's the dog mom squad. It's like, yeah. it's dog mom era rather than necessarily, oh, it's just a pink dog collar. You yeah. know? They are. They are just beautiful. It's not even just you saying that because it's your brand. They are genuinely stunning. <laughs> Thank um, you. I do wonder if this is related, but I know you have a wedding collection. How did that come about? Was that from like an influencer customer perspective? Did you guys just come up with it? Like, where did this come from? I love it so much. 
Oh, good. Okay. I'm glad you do. No, this is all SEO. That's an SEO perspective. So basically we have started creating, and I think we can like dig into SEO a little bit. I'm not an expert at it by any means. It's mostly my partner, Tim, but I do know that he's created some more collection pages on our website of late just to target those keywords. So people often, we found, will search for us to shop for their wedding. And so we thought, well, we don't have any wedding specific items, but people generally are shopping and purchasing the taut products, which are like a cream. So that makes sense. And our sage and our lilac, and we've got a lot of pastel colors. So people shop for them for their wedding. And we just thought, let's have a collection page on our website for SEO purposes so that it's easier for Google to realize, oh, Sanago is a wedding dog brand even though we're not strictly a wedding dog brand but it's for those that that intent if that makes sense i love that is there any other examples of that because that's really clever and i think other people don't necessarily go down that tract of thinking yeah i think it's i think it's smart because it's almost like a loophole like no you don't necessarily need to have a wedding collection but you can repurpose your products and say hey this is our wedding collection that we have because, and we've got lots of photos of people in there at their weddings with their dogs in it, so we can demonstrate that. But we yeah. also are doing it for Christmas. So we've now got a Christmas collection, which we've got dark red and green products, and we're bringing out bandanas, which is actually a Christmas item. But for um, SEO purposes, again, we've now got a wedding collection page on our website, which has the bottle green and the ruby red products, so it's Christmassy. I love that so much. Because, again... It's the intent, right, of people searching for, you know, Christmas bandana for their dog, Christmas collar for dog. Yeah. It's just, I just think it's a different way of thinking about your business that I don't know that a lot of people, obviously people do, but it's something that I think Mm. can be easily forgotten that it's quite easy to just make a collection with what you've already got. Literally just add a new page onto it. It's a new collection page and it's great for SEO apparently. I mean, we brought it in maybe three months ago, so it's still kind of getting up and running and we're still kind of looking through the insights, but I mean, it can't hurt. No. And I just think it's adorable. And it gets mentioned on the podcast. (laughs) So there you go. Do you have like your best e-commerce tip for anyone listening? What would you say would be like your best advice? Oh God, this is such a tricky one. Hang on. Let me have a think. That's all right. Best e-commerce tip. For anybody, okay, is this for anybody in the biz struggling with marketing or is it anybody starting a brand from scratch? I'd go people already in business. People already in business if they're struggling. I think that it's said a lot, but not a lot of people necessarily do it. And that is, what is your point of difference? Like, if you don't have a point of difference, why would a customer come and shop with you over X. And I remember being asked this question a lot in the start of my business. And the, my point of difference has changed throughout too. I don't think it needs to be a, we are this brand and that's it. But I think if you always kind of know um, what you're doing and the value that you're bringing to the customers through your point of difference, I think that you, you should always have that in mind or have that insight because it will help with things like branding and it will help with your marketing efforts. I believe. So like, for example, when we started out, our point of of difference was we are a vegan pet accessories brand. And that's all I knew in my head. I was like, okay, that's it. I'm just going to stick with that. Mm -hmm. And whilst we still are 
technically a vegan brand. All of our stuff is cruelty-free and always will be. That's not, it's not that it's the most important thing, but now we are also the brand in Australia that targets women's fashion and women's lifestyle. Like we're not just your average pet brand. Like we think about what you're wearing and what you want your dog to be seen in. And it's, it's that style that comes into it. I think like that's our point of difference and that will always inform our marketing and product dev. So I think that's my top tip. It's great to bring out a brand or a product, but I do really think it needs to be different. I think it'll just make it a lot easier for you. Yeah. A hundred percent. I think you see too many people starting out and they just sell another dress or they sell just another something yeah. else. And it's like, what's the difference though? Mm-hmm. Like, why would I buy from you the 700 yeah. other dog collar companies? <laughs> like what, what's the difference? And I think knowing that is so important. Yeah. And I think there will always be competitors and that might work for people like that might be great. But I think the risk is that if you don't know what your point of difference is necessarily, somebody's going to come along and do it cheaper, potentially do it better. Mm-hmm. And you've not really protected your brand because you don't really know what your brand stands for. So like we have so many riffs of Sonago popping up all over mm-hmm. the place that are literally identical. I can hardly tell the difference, yeah. but they're not Sanago. No. So I think, yeah, that's really important. Yeah. And I mean, you've built yours up to be such a, like, as you said, it's it's not a dog collar brand. It's a fashion brand mm-hmm. that sells dog collars. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. that's such yeah. a point of difference. And the people that are your customer aren't the ones that are going to go buy cheap knockoffs. Like, they want to buy it from you for that reason. So I think you've done a great job. Thank you. Lovely. So I'll just get to the last couple of questions we ask everyone. Do you have any strategies or habits that you follow each day to help you stay on track in business? Because we're a small team, we're really lucky we can work really collaboratively together. So I think in terms of that, it's we get things done really quickly because we know exactly what we're doing. It's him and I, and we use like Google Drive a lot to share all our ideas and what we have coming up and things like that, and also Notion. So I think it's about for us get like having the right tools there and constantly kind of being on top of it and sharing and also I'm a pretty regimented person myself so I'll always have daily tasks I love a checklist love a checklist obviously it's things like every single day like emails and checking socials and that kind of thing but no it's pretty fluid pretty fluid it it can change day by day there's always those tasks that I do every day but it's more of a collaborative approach we have no I like it I like it because a lot of people come on and they're like no I get up at four o'clock in the morning and I do this and that works amazing for some people but as a another Uh go with the flow kind of person it's nice to hear the other side of it do you have a favorite podcast I don't I've got to be 100% honest with you I don't have a favorite podcast um crime podcasts everyone loves a crime podcast That's literally pretty much all I've listened to. And then I've heard snippets just from whatever, whoever, different influences, snippets of podcasts that they've been on. And then I'll go and have a listen. But yeah. I can't say that I religiously listen to one. That's fine. Do you have a favorite business book? Shoe Dogs by Nike. Love it. And if people want to find you, see your beautiful collars and things, what's the best way for them to do that? The best way is to go to our Instagram, Saint underscore Argo, or our website, which is Saint argo.com wonderful well thank you so much for joining us on the show it's been an absolute pleasure having you thank you for having me 
Thanks for listening to the Bright Minds of E-Commerce podcast. As always, you'll find the show notes at brightredmarketing.com.au forward slash episode 57. Thanks for listening.